Hello, everybody. <laughs> hail so, seekers. Hail seekers. <laughs> we're trying a new format. Uh, we're just going to, we're going to do everything on video. We're go- still going to put out audio podcasts, which will be uh, cuts from this. Um, but in the meantime, you'll be able to see us as we work. Um, right. And, and we're still fun. figuring this this all out. Hopefully we'll have some more uh, tech-savvy knowledge in the future. Absolutely. Hopefully we're early enough in that uh, video doesn't kill the radio star here. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, trying all this out. Now, today's topic, uh, we kind of teased it a few times, but we're actually going to try and... Uh, we're going to try and, and jump into Buddhism for everyone. Now, for those that move in spiritual circles and hang out with different people, Buddhism comes up almost constantly. It's one of those things that is ubiquitous when it comes to even American spirituality, I, I feel. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to do today is attempt to start a three-part series that will give a basic intro into what buddhism is because i think it's really hard if you look it up on the internet real quick to to kind of get a good idea i mean there's a lot of technical knowledge out there there's a lot of history none of it helps you have an actual intelligent discourse about what buddhism is with somebody who studies it um you know right because because like any religion most of the people talking about it are practitioners Exactly. And uh, so what we're trying to do here is to take a seeker's view of of Buddhism. So we're not Buddhists, but we find a lot of value in it, I think. And we're going to discuss, you know, our interactions with Buddhism. And um, as Michael said, it is really prevalent. And growing up uh, where we did uh, and some of our experiences, like we were surrounded by people that are sort of in the New Age movement which is sort of an amorphous term. You know, we'll, we'll, we might talk in more detail about that at some point. Uh, it's an interesting topic, but uh, needless to say, a lot of New Age philosophy is inspired or you could say sort of co-opted by the New Age movement or appropriated, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> There's a fair bit of appropriation. And unfortunately, a lot of it was done at a time where, you know, there... so. As as it always happens, like there's better scholarship now. There's better texts that have been translated into English. There's a better understanding of right. what Buddhism is. And, and to be honest, to be fair, a lot of that is because of the New Age movement. Mm-hmm. Bringing a lot of interest and bringing a lot of focus and bringing a lot of money. Bringing money. To buy books. Yeah. Creating a, a market. And mm-hmm. so, you know, as, as our understanding of Buddhism in the West evol- involves, you know, evolves into something greater than you know we had when even when i was a kid um it's worth oh, no, I, touching up i thought buddhists were like all magic monks yeah. and, and i knew monks and i knew a few monks growing up and i suspected they practiced kung fu i mean why wouldn't they i wanted to <laughs> turns out that might be not true who knows certain monks could also be true it's unlikely that the, zen, hand, that the but... zen buddhists on woodby island were practicing chinese kung fu but Yes, they might have done something. I, I definitely did some some yoga class led by monks, and you know, not mm-hmm. not Hindu Indian monks like Zen monks. Absolutely. But yoga's 
yoga is great exercise and it has a natural spirituality that comes out wherever whoever's doing it so let's jump into this so as i said this is buddhism in a nutshell we've got our little <laughs> slideshow here that'll give you something to look at uh for those listening only um we're gonna be reading you know out loud obviously what's going on on the slides so it should be easy enough to follow uh trust me there's not a lot here um so i wanted to start off with a little basically a disclaimer saying you know we're not we're not claiming to be buddhist teaching buddhism or other buddhists like that's not what this is necessarily for um my relationship with the Buddhist religion, to put it, is complex and not straightforward and hard to put into this. And I really don't want this to be about that. Um, Shane, what would you say your relationship with Buddhism is personally, in, in a nutshell? Like, Well, honestly, until we uh, started researching for this episode... I had never really researched Buddhism, mm -hmm. which is interesting because I had researched Buddhists. I had re researched the history of Tibet, mm -hmm. and I had researched the differences between Buddhist religions. Yeah. I hadn't really looked at the philosophy, the core underpinnings of it, uh, more in a historical approach. Like, it's interesting that Buddhism spread all the way to Japan um, and into the Pacific Islands at one point before mm -hmm. it was sort of eclipsed by Islam. And it still exists in the Pacific oh, yeah. Islands, but in Malaysia, it, it, Indonesia, it took it took so long for it to move any any farther west than like India, where it started basically. <laughs> like, there's mm -hmm. you get into Pakistan and Iran and the Middle Eastern countries and Europe and Africa. There's yeah. not there's Buddhists. There are Buddhists all over the world, sure, but there are often fewer Buddhists than Jews, and Jews were like actively persecuted in a lot of areas. Absolutely, it's weird that. There isn't much Buddhism in um, India today. And I think there's reasons for that, but um, just to dial it back, I will say, you know, I myself, I, I took, so I took a college course on Buddhism uh, and Eastern religions. So it wasn't just on Buddhism. I, mm -hmm. I've had the, I've had the pleasure of sitting in with a couple different sanghas here in uh, the city that I live in and Pretty much no matter what city you live in, if you're in the United States, you probably find Buddhists. Um, so th that's not hard to do. I, I'm, I do not call myself a Buddhist to people who are not Buddhists, mm -hmm. if that makes any kind of sense. Because, um, but I, I greatly appreciate Buddhist philosophy and teachings, and I've been a great admirer. There, there was a quote that came up about the Chinese religion and they said mm -hmm. what do they say uh, you take your leisure as a Taoist you work as a Confucianist and you handle grief as a Buddhist mm. and so you know there's a utility to religion in China that I greatly admire That's, and, it's interesting in Japan it's similar people mm -hmm. you know there's still an active practice of Shinto spirituality and then there's Buddhism and there are other yeah, and then you can still go to church if you want, you know. And, and, well, and I think, it may, you know, this is true of, of other Eastern religions, Taoism and Confucianism uh, and Shinto, but Buddhism is unlike a lot of other religions, mm -hmm. and especially the Western religions, the Abrahamic religions, which, um, and even, even the Hindu religions, which 
it actually is a cousin of it, it evolved out of much like Christianity evolved out of Judaism. Mm-hmm. But yeah. strong relationship. Uh, you know, it doesn't require the belief in any deity, and there, there, that's not a hundred percent true. Like it's, it's more complex. There are sort of deities and divine ones in Buddhism, and as we get into more depth on the differences, I look forward to researching more of that. I, you know, this is. Uh, right now, our focus for today is the, the Four Noble Truths and the basic philosophical underpinnings. And I think we'll go into some of the deeper beliefs. Um, we're planning to speak about the Eightfold Path mm-hmm. and the history. And in the future, we may return to this topic and explore, you know, have an episode on Tibetan Buddhism, have an episode on Zen Buddhism, and really explore both the history and the philosophy of the specific sects of Buddhism. Absolutely. But I mean, for now, the focus is the Four Noble Truths, which is fascinating because they they really are, like, truths that hold up to scrutiny as such. You know, it's it's more uh, philosophical than than theological. And it is, but it's the, the sort of core of the, of the religion and, and the, the Four Noble Truths leading to the Eightfold Path. And then beyond that, Buddhism is how those core things are interpreted through myriad lenses and other philosophies. But at its core, there are these four philosophical underpinnings that really like could be valuable to anyone. And they don't rely on, you know, in the beginning there was God yeah. as, as, a, as a concept, as a precept to it. You know, you can take them and realize that, you know, you're, you're making your life more difficult because Mm -hmm. because of these things or or understanding as you said grief or or difficult times and um so i think we can we can kind of go into the topic i guess um what what was the the next thing you you wanted to cover let's see so we got a little list uh on our little slides here about what we're trying to do um one thing I want to say, though, is, uh, you know, this is this is not going to make you a Buddhist. So don't watch this and or listen to it and say, oh, I think I am a Buddhist. It takes nothing right. to be a Buddhist except to say that you're a Buddhist. That That is pretty much true. Um, you, you can, you know, do that. The the I take refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Sangha, you know, there's there's different things you can say that there's, are... There's sort of a right or a... Exactly. Uh, and that matters. <laughs> or a pledge, I guess. But yeah, many American Buddhists don't even and do that. Um, but really what my point is, is if you are interested in what you're hearing here, go out and seek some actual Buddhists for some real face-to-face communication and understanding... Uh, they are very easy to talk to. They mm-hmm. are they are generally not going to lead you down a weird path. There are many different branches out there. And maybe you'll want to listen to one of our other videos that will be coming up here soon on the different branches of Buddhism. I think our third video will focus a bit on that to give you an idea. Because there's a big, big difference between a Tibetan Buddhist and a Pure Land Chinese Buddhist and, you know, a Zen Buddhist. Those are wildly different things. So, um, if you like what you hear, you know, pay attention to your research and, and seek a Buddhist instructor. I know the Shambhala Buddhists will teach you absolutely free. All the Sanghas I've ever 
sad in the the Buddhist communities. I should probably <clears throat> specify that are happy. Right. We're gonna we're gonna need to define some terms for sure. Exactly, and that that's kind of coming up next. Um, and and finally, these videos, as much as we would love to, will not give you a complete understanding of Buddhism. You know. No, we are exploring it. Yeah. We're we're not, you know, experts in the field, and yeah. I think that's that's the what we bring to the to everyday sacred is the that seekers mentality you know you can think of this as a a seekers snapshot of buddhism Mm -hmm. like i think there's a lot of value in buddhism that could help anyone some of you may find that you want to become buddhist or you want to explore more and i think that's wonderful super in a lot of ways the world could use a few more buddhists (laughs) absolutely um, finally i am not i am not a buddhist but and nor are, are we, but there's a lot of Buddhism that's really speaks to me, and especially right now uh, in my life. Absolutely. Now, Mr. Boyce, is there anything you want to add about your understanding or relationship to Buddhism? Um, um, I mean, I think it's a easy gate of entry. Uh, coming from someone who, for a large majority of my life, was a devotedly atheist... I say with, you know, tongue in cheek mm-hmm. because devotion. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know, as Shane was saying, devout, devout atheist, <laughs> right? As Shane was saying, uh, you know, most of the branches, you're not really uh, worshiping a deity form in Buddhism. That's always something I was more open to as an atheist. And I was like, well, this sounds mm-hmm. kind of cool. Maybe I should look into this. And uh, if there was any chance to pursue that in the military i would have on sundays you know they'd be like hey if you're this denomination go here that denomination go here um and buddhism wasn't uh not accepted by the military there just wasn't any yeah but you could put it on your dog tags yeah but there wasn't a a monk there to to consult with (laughs) exactly (laughs) so my guidance missed opportunity there um well and some of these might actually explain why there probably weren't a lot of hardcore buddhists in the military well yeah eightfold path in the military i don't know if those line up particularly well um, or the people are trying to you know push I mean, out there i mean i people i'm sure work. yeah i'm sure you could meet some 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 buddhists in the military that you know find a way that that that, that yeah. eightfold path it's discipline you know, I'll give you that. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a daily. You can have your daily regiment and your practice, and you could. There are, and there certainly. are certainly there are certainly Buddhist soldiers all over the world. Maybe yeah. out in the U.S. Well, and there's there's some <laughs> real. I mean, there's some countries where there's some real atrocities being committed by Buddhist, quote unquote, yeah. soldiers. So Buddhism you know, as a whole, still has blood on its hands. Yeah. You know, um, you you've got to separate the the different branches and the different philosophies there's it's mostly a peaceful religion there are a lot of vegetarian buddhists buddhists probably yeah. a lot more you know pacifist buddhists than hawkish yeah. buddhists absolutely but um, there are still especially in southeast asia there are oppressive buddhist groups there definitely are um now we're going to go into the background of buddhism and to do that we need to give you just the faintest little intro into aspects of what you think of probably as the Hindu religion. Um, and, and we understand that, that Hindu is not a term that Indian people necessarily think of themselves as belonging to. They don't 
they don't all think that they are part of the Hindu religion. Well, well, really, it's it should really be the Hindu religions. And yeah. I think the Hindu are a people. And it's, you know, it's not an English name. It's an older name than that, you mm-hmm. know, that they generally call themselves. There are also very many different cultures in India and very many different religions. Absolutely. So it's, it is weird that Hinduism became a religion, what, sometime in the eight, eight, 19th, 20th century? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Maybe a little was, earlier than that. It was, like, basically a way for the British to define them. Right. You but know. in reality, it is a bunch of mostly interrelated religions. They are connected. And but some of, them are, some of them are really different and uh, not as obviously connected and uh, potentially not connected except through shared history of being from India. Absolutely. Um, but there are a lot of like the, the Brahmin religions and the major pantheon uh, mm-hmm. within what we generally refer to as Hinduism. But really there are more different cults and religions and a lot of different philosophies and Tantra is in there and Jainism is in there. And... Absolutely. Uh, when it comes to Buddhism, what we need to focus on is the fact that you'll see a lot of like concepts present in the Hindu religion, again, uh, that pop up, that are central to it. Um, mm-hmm. One of the first is that you'll commonly find a lot of deities uh, in some of these like Buddhist folklore, uh, in some of the mythologies that go through, you'll see a similar shared kind of uh, pantheon of deities. And uh, you don't need to know much about them, especially for what we're going to talk about. But just know that it, it doesn't make it the same religion. It doesn't make it, you know, that's not even why it's a different religion or, you know, similar. Mm-hmm. Just be comfortable with the idea that there's a lot of like crossover historically and and in the mythology that exists so that mm-hmm. because generally if we in the west if we hear odin we're, we're like okay so this is like a norse mythology if we hear the name zeus we're like okay this is like a greek mythology you know we're really mm-hmm. good at like parsing things it's not going to work here uh you know if you if you hear a deity name and i would it's not even particular to Hinduism because once you get into some of the Zen Buddhism and some of the Buddhism that's taking place in, in places like China and uh, Japan, you know, there's a lot of crossover with the religions there. It's it's common. It happens. And it happens a lot in Buddhism, uh, probably for things reasons that we'll, we'll explain as we go on. Um, the concept of samsara is very important. Now, if, yes. you've, if you've never heard about samsara, uh, this is the idea, this is the, the theory of reincarnation. It's kind of pictured as a wheel that you're riding around and around in these cycles of life and death. Samsara, yes. it, samsara is described as beginningless, mm-hmm. not endless. It, it, is always, it has always been, it always will be. Yeah. It is this endless cycle. You know, and the site, and you know, the wheel itself may be moving as well. There are larger cycles holding the cycles within them. Um, but yeah. yes, within the the sort of Hindu religions, or at least the really the the best way to describe it is the religious background background from which Gautama Buddha Siddhartha came from, like his personal, you know, his regional, his family's religion. And yep. when we go more into the history, you know, we'll, we'll talk about 
the actual person who founded Buddhism, because that's very key just as understanding Christianity. You have to understand the person who started it. Um, We'll go more into that. But in summary, he was born um, to a wealthy, you know, uh, royal family, basically, noble family in what is now Nepal, about 600 something BC. We'll get the numbers. Mm -hmm. And uh, so what you need to know is what religion was dominant there, what God or gods. um, But it is, as as Michael said, it it came out of the Hindu religion. Much, religions. It's a lot like Jesus was born a Jew and died a Jew. Buddha, yeah, but his, was but his born Hindu and were, died. His followers Hindu. were no longer Jews. Absolutely, and, that's and, very true. And and so, the main goal of a lot of these religions is to get off of that wheel, is to mm-hmm. break that cycle of endless reincarnation, of endless pain, endless suffering coming back over and over again getting to the highest point and falling back to the lowest point and in this view uh, for an individual to be reincarnated as a god and for the god to die and a new person to become the god is commonplace it's you know Mm -hmm. and this is this is really easy to understand when you read all the mythology and really you know get yourself in there like it's pervasive but in the west it's a more difficult idea because the idea of reincarnation is, is almost a, a way to salvation for us. I mean, we're, we're much more focused on this particular life. Um, and so while I don't think that you need to believe in samsara to see the usefulness and utility of Buddhism, you got to understand that, that this is, has a lot to do with the goal of the religion, the goal of the right. philosophy. And some, samsara well, is just as central to Buddhism as it is to hinduism yes well what's funny about samsara is it's the ever going you know rebirth recycle um but there's also the like hand-in-hand notion that all life is suffering and because you keep reincarnating you keep having these lifelong cycles of suffering so it sucks and you want to get out so even you know if you come from a more western background and you don't buy into reincarnation you know, if you're even close to our generation, life is suffering probably resonates yeah. very strongly. It makes strongly. a certain kind of sense, and you so, wouldn't want to do it forever. So you're like, okay, yes. yeah, no, I can get this. Um, and that, that sort of leads us towards the, the truths. Absolutely. But I think samsara is, it's really important to understand before you get into this, because the goal of Buddhism is to achieve nirvana, which is translated as enlightenment or freedom from the wheel and it, it is transcending the cycle of samsara and you know they say that the buddha achieved enlightenment under the the bodhi tree mm-hmm. well the way uh i was listening to it on the great courses it was explained less as like this great blissful state and more just a state of like peace Yes. and rest and i think yeah. you know that makes a lot of sense if life is suffering you just want to rest <laughs> you yeah know? you just don't want to suffer yeah day in and day you out know, sucks. live, it, live life and, and the thing is in 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 our concept the way nirvana is described to us from a, a generally a christian worldview to be honest but from a secular western worldview 
is that it's state of bliss. This like feeling of like joining the light. And, and really, that's just another gateway into suffering. It's thinking that that's where you're going. Absolutely. In truth, we all live, we all die. And throughout that life, we have ups and we have downs. And we have things that we have and things that we lose. And things that we're frightened of losing. And we have things that we get attached to. And things that we can't let go of. Um, and the core work of Buddhism and the goal of, of Nirvana is in some ways just letting those things go. You know, the Buddha lived and he died. You know, he was yeah. a mortal man. After he achieved enlightenment, his decision from then was to go back and, and, and spread his word to people. And he's, you know, he described that as the middle path, uh, which is the, the, the core way of describing the Four Noble Truths and the, eight, the Eightfold Path is the middle way the middle path which is living that life and just being in it you know accept mm -hmm. acceptance is honestly a good a good way of looking at nirvana and and yeah, it absolutely. is just it's almost more like it feels more to me from my limited understanding as a non-buddhist it's more like merging with the path or or just or spinning off from it you know you're you're comfortable in it and you yeah it's not like an endless orgasm it's no. more... <laughs> although <laughs> I, I mean, I have heard stories uh, about <laughs> about that very thing. So I I will. So the way we decided to go about this is to talk about the three marks of existence, and then hit the four noble truths. Now, there's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of like Buddhist core philosophies that we're we're not going to touch on, but I think the two of these, along with that eightfold path that we'll do in the next episode, is really a good way to give people enough meat to chew on. Um, and it's inspiring, to be honest. Uh, really we'll get more lost in the weeds, honestly, when we start talking about the history and the different uh, branches of Buddhism. Sure. But the core of Buddhism is beautiful. And, and just getting that, uh, I think, is can be really valuable. Uh, All right, well, let's do the three marks of existence. You'll, you'll also hear these as the three universal truths. At times, or it, it's sort of the three truths of the universe. Yeah, in some sense, absolutely. It's it's so these three are not meant to uh, get you any place. They're really kind of to lay a foundation of understanding. Uh, it's like where is this all coming from? So, I've put up uh, on our little slideshow here. We've got the the three visible. Uh, the first is, and. Just to throw this out there, some of these terms are in Pali, some are in Sanskrit. Okay, We're going to mix Pali? them up. Pali is another ancient religion that the, the Buddhist scriptures, that the Pali canons, as they're known, were recorded in. So they're central to Buddhism and the history of Buddhism, much like Aramaic is central to Christianity. And Hebrew mm -hmm. is central to to Christianity. Here we Is that Pali. Uh, P A L I like Pali, Pali. Yeah, that's how I often see it spelled. Yeah. Okay. Um and and Pali in in Sanskrit are similar. And so if we say mm -hmm. dukkha and nirvana, forgive us for not saying nirvana, or if we say dharma instead of dhamma, you know, forgive us. Again, yeah. We don't know enough about it to even really go there. And I don't no, think No, we're we're going to use the terms that are common in Mhm. Mm in English, 
Absolutely. You know, and and it it is sort of pulled from multiple languages, which is funny since you you're pronouncing it poly, because polyamory in English is a similar mix of two different languages. Yeah. <laughs> or who's stuck yeah yeah in one word it happens a few times and it's it's its own monstrosity but it does the right. job and and we do We're that just in doing English. the job i mean and nirvana sounds like a cool word yeah. so does samsara i think english often to, to be to be perfectly honest when we import a word that could could be picked from multiple languages really the coolest sounding word tends to take precedent yeah. And that, like, yeah, you could if you look here. back far enough, you'd probably find multiple translations of Nirvana in different different ways. But I mean, ever since that that one band from the '90s, there's sort of been one term that is the only <laughs> one you ever hear. Absolutely, <laughs> I've, and it's fine. It's a great word. It's beautiful. When it comes to pronunciations, <laughs> I just I've stopped correcting people because with the advent of like YouTube and like just opening up to the world. It's, People just say things differently, and you just gotta accept yes. it yep. and be like, "All right, well, maybe I know what they're... you're talking about, so that's enough." Maybe it's an individual right. birthing a new dialect. Like, yeah, and you're getting in the and way th- of that. I think we, you know, we've talked touched on this when we talked about language, but like usage really defines the language more than prescriptiveness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm more exactly. of a, a usage person mm-hmm. than a prescriptivist, and because prescriptive language sort of leads to oppression, to be honest. Yeah, uh, or at least uh, ostracization and and uh, yeah, and it leads to the pedant at the cocktail party that you don't want to talk to, and he's like, "Well, actually," and you're like, "Get out of here! I don't yeah. want any, any part of this." And with that, so, I think we digress. Yeah, I think that's an official, uh, you know, that's a tangent. Yeah, but it's it's relevant. We'll, we'll we'll leave it though. Yeah, we we understand this is happening, so please don't write us hate mail over it. Um, we wouldn't no. be able to understand the right way, and quite frankly, you we know, we probably won't read the email anyway. So, <laughs> so if, but I will, if yeah. you can find our email address, please let me know what it is. <laughs> Fair enough. I, if you're so, yeah. the three universal truths exactly. are the first what? is impermanence. Impermanence. Everything is impermanent. I yes. love you know. this so much, and it's it's true. From the, the those beautiful sand mandalas that the that the Tibetan monks will make, mm-hmm. only to brush away as soon as they're done, which just makes me cry in my heart of hearts. It does. But it's they've been to. they've been recorded a few times, and so you have recordings to watch. But you got to realize there are thousands of other times that never had witness. Yes. That they made this beautiful thing. Thousands, it, <laughs> thousands more. Yes. And this and is one of those things that we all think we know, right? Like impermanent, everything's impermanent. I know that big deal blah blah. Yeah, we know that this <laughs> you, the sun is going to eventually expand and absorb the earth. Yeah. We know but that everything deep, If you if you're being honest with yourself deep inside, how much do you actually act like you know everything's impermanent? I mean, you know, when your car <laughs> starts to break down, how much does that bother you when, mm-hmm. you know, and how much did you drive it like it was going to last forever? You know, on, on a fundamental level, it happens so slowly and change happens in ways that we're not aware of that impermanence actually really escapes most people on a day to day and a day to day way. And the idea that we're going to come and go 
bothers us on a deep fundamental level, so much so that in the West here, we try not to think about it ever. No, we actually teach ourselves to feel permanent. Like, I feel permanent. Absolutely. And to, be, I... to be perfectly honest, I am aware that I'm not <laughs> on a, like, very cerebral level. Just as I'm aware that I, my cat is not going to live with me for the rest of my life. Yes. Cerebrally. But I feel like that, yeah, the, that cat, he's a good buddy. Philbert's he's, been around forever. Yeah. Yeah. He's been around a long time. Yeah. He still seems healthy. Well, what I love about <laughs> the idea of uh, impermanence is it's so contrary to what we're sold. Like, we're bombarded all the time with this idea of linear. Like, your wealth oh, yes. will be linear. Your career progression will be linear. Your health will be linear the opposite way, unfortunately. Uh, your, like, emotional recovery will be linear. And it's so out of line with what we actually experience in our no, lives. No, it is a denial of reality. It's undulating. Yeah. Everything is undulating all of the time. It is, so I it's really cyclical. love this idea. Yep. You know, there are, there are cycles and there are waves within the cycles. And, you know, we have a cycle. The, our, the cycle of our life is is really beautiful in its own way. It's it's sad at the end. Yeah. But we, we start out as this single cell, you know, organism merging between two other, two existing humans in generally. And we mm -hmm. grow from that, you know, into an infant and into a child um, through adolescence, into adulthood, through to our peak physical and mental capacity, which is really where the three of us still are now. And, you know, uh, one of the beautiful things about humanity, we, we don't live a long time, but we peak for a long time. Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, and... Often. And, you know, it can be from 20 to 60. And we celebrate that <laughs> in our media. If you're in good health. Right? I mean, and we, we try to push... The idea of like looking good and being attractive and having a sex drive far past the point honestly where it kind of even makes sense and, and like that's important to us because mm -hmm. we are in denial of impermanence no and and we we don't we don't like to look at people that are <laughs> I mean, past their prime to be honest yes. like you know after that 60 point or whatever unless there are politicians because for some reason we live in an, yeah then we make ger a gerontocracy yeah, you know, we, we which need, is really strange, but they need people seem with to soft food to tell us power. what to do on the highest levels. <laughs> yeah, um, but in general, like we don't like to look at old people as no, they fade. We you don't. Know, they they don't get celebrated a lot in in American culture. We make fun of them. We make yeah. fun of the elderly. I've seen jackass. Yeah, we make fun of how they <laughs> smell and how they talk and the things they believe because right, and and we like to get their tired. stories. You know, people are honoring the stories. But it's more like it's still from the perspective of people getting their stories. Yeah. They're not honored for themselves. Mining them as a resource value for the younger. Um, and, and that's not true around the world. Not at all. Um, especially in the And we and we're afraid of death. Ultimately that's where it comes from. Yeah. We we deny the elderly and we deny the infirm and those in decline because we're afraid of death. Um, because we don't know what happens. I mean, I don't know if I agree with that. Like, death I can cope with. The idea of slowly decaying while I'm alive terrifies the shit out of me. And I haven't You might be able to cope with death. 
but our society d- doesn't even really acknowledge its existence unless it's well i mean look at action villains in an action you know, movie like e- even in there you know it's it's like quick and painless and you know it's it's about the hero but in real life you know oh, yeah. people go get on, cancer go on a blaze of glory yeah um it, it's it's to sum it up um impermanence is something that everything has as a quality and nothing will last forever and mm-hmm. it's important to remember that even though we try actively to forget it so the second mark of existence or universal truth is sometimes called is uh dukkha the poly word for suffering um this word has a few different meanings and it can be translated some different ways and honestly it's uh it's complicated the way it's being used here and one thing i want to say about it is that it's it probably makes the most sense to think of it as dissatisfaction um in the West, we say the word suffering, and it means several different things because mm-hmm. because our religious philosophy doesn't like to separate it out. It doesn't like to get in close and granular on the types of suffering that exist. No, in, in English, we, we have suffering. Yeah. And we can, we can break it up into types of suffering. We can define different types of suffering, but we don't have words for different words for different types of suffering. And I think that's really important uh, in understanding this, is really defining dukkha. It's mm-hmm. core to the Four Noble Truths, so we, we're, we'll spend a few minutes here. And if you because... need any backup on what Shane just said, think about the last time you went to the doctor, which may have been a while, because you were experiencing pain, and he was like, well, is it burning? Is it stinging? Is it cold? Is it thudding? And you're just like, I don't know, man, it hurts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I know that in Pali that like physical or mental pain, I believe, is called dukkha dukkha. So it's uh, repeated. Uh, This is a common feature in many languages around the world. Um, And that's a specific type of pain, right? That's like the the acute, painful experience of breaking your arm or finding out your cat died. Uh, Sorry, Filbert. I love you. (laughs) And uh, I don't want you to die. But, but you you lost your rabbit not too long ago. I did. There, was, there was pain with that. Yeah. He was and, a good rabbit. And you had him for a very long time. He was almost as old. He was about the same age as Filbert. Rabbits, yeah, it was about unfortunately, don't live quite as long. 10 years, 11 years. Yeah. Yeah. Filbert's yeah. turning 13 this yeah, summer. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah. And he's, luckily, Filbert's still healthy. But it hurts. And that's real pain. <laughs> and I... I yeah, as Shane said, we'll spend a little time here because some people have a hard time when they say that like Buddhism promises an escape from suffering. That doesn't mean that Buddhism is promising an escape from all pain. Mm-hmm. And pain and suffering suffering are often synonymized yeah. in English, but they're different even in English. They really are. Yeah. You do feel pain. And you can feel emotional pain and you can the pain can wound you and that wound when you lose someone even when you lose a pet you can carry that wound for a long time like i don't know we were talking about uh 
your dog bear the other day. Yeah. Um, and I felt the pain when we were talking about it because I saw him get hit by a car. Yeah. And I love that dog. It was your dog. And I also felt terrible for it. Um, guilty for a while. I mean, you were really cool. It well, it's not your fault. It wasn't really my fault. He was a black dog running in the middle of the street at 2 o'clock in the morning. But there was also a car driving 60 when he should have been going 25. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Bear's fault either. <laughs> so... It, it's, but it hurts, that's and it pain. still hurts 20-something. That was over 20 years ago. Yeah. Like, yeah. 18. Far you know. past the natural life of a dog. No. And, and I don't wish that dog was still here to play with. You know, I think that's the difference between the pain I feel from be, still being like, oh, I have memories of hanging out with that dog on the beach and, and walking around and like this walk was one that we'd done a bunch of times because sometimes he liked to follow your friends into Langley and mm-hmm. then run back home because he didn't really require much supervision. Yeah. He'd just, he'd go, you know, and a half an hour later, I, I'd get to wherever I was going and I'd be like, bye bear. And then he'd run home and yeah. two miles or whatever. He, he was a great dog. And so, you know, I, I have great memories of him. He, we wouldn't have been around by now anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference, I think, between that kind of pain, even if there's a wound 20 years later, and the pain of attachment, the, the dukkha, the unsatisfactoriness, is that attachment, is that um, that you can't let it go. Yeah, yeah. Like if I was still racked with guilt over murdering your dog exactly. 20 years ago. That would be suffering. And, yeah. Yeah, and You'd I was suffering like... suffering from it. And if I would... If every time you mentioned him, I was like, God, I wish I'd, I wish I'd taken a right instead of a left mm-hmm. or any, any of these things that, and, and, and dukkha is the suffering that you bring upon yourself. And that's yeah. the, the truth of it. And I, I think we need to, to, to hit on the, on the third universal truth before we move into the truth of suffering, which is the first noble truth. Yeah, but yeah. I think defining that is really important because dukkha is not suffering, in a sense that you're feeling that you pain can be hurt, alone. even even psychological pain, mm-hmm. and um, we we talked about this a bit uh, in preparing for this, but I think you had said earlier, the dukkha type of suffering really only can be experienced by humans. Yeah, and, I mean, I I. So, you know, you can talk to a Buddhist about this personally if you're, you're deeply interested and have problems with the philosophy. But I think you'll find that, like, it, it's a particularly, it seems like a particularly human trait to have, is to beat yourself up because you wish the universe was a different way than it is. Yes. I don't you think wish that... you were born wealthier. You wish you were still young. Yeah. You wish your cat was still here. I don't, I don't think dogs and cats think about fairness a lot. No, and that's that was the 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 point I wanted to bring is it's like you can see a dog suffer in 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 one sense in in the English sense uh, that dogs who've been abused carry that damage that wound for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I mean the Pavlov and you dog can see thing. you can see rescue dogs that still flinch, never trust people, like dogs that are afraid of men or afraid of women. Uh, or who lash out at other dogs or want to kill other animals because of some, some trauma. They have a trauma response. They can have psychological damage that they carry with them the rest of their life. And, and 
in English, that is a form of suffering, and we're not discounting that. Mm -hmm. That is suffering in English, but it is not dukkha. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's... I think that's the key, because the dog doesn't sit there and be like, how was I born into this owner? You know, why, why didn't I have a kind owner? As yeah. far as know. we know, <laughs> dogs aren't right. capable of thinking that. Yeah. They can it's, sit there and think possible. that all day. We don't know. It's well, possible dogs can dwell on things. And, and, this uh, is... and if they have that capacity, then I would say they can have experience due sure. to that form of suffering. If a dog can sit around and be like, man, that guy playing with his dog in the field, why am I not his dog? Yeah. You I... know, or, or whatever, then sure. But it, all signs point to that it's not true because you'll see those dogs that are you'll see a beaten dog still run to its master. Yeah. And it, and it, and it tears your heartstrings as a, you know, if you're aware of it. I, I um, heard a quick, quick, I heard a story, um, from an eye surgeon and they were, you know, we we're getting a dog treated for cancer in its eye. And they're like, you know what, we'll put a laser in there and, and kill the cancer so that it can't spread through the, the optic nerve and everything. And we we're thinking like, Oh man, you know, this is so hard for him. Like he's gonna, he's gonna be so upset about everything. And and the doctor's like, you see that dog? He lost. We took out both his eyes because of cancer. We had to f physically remove them because they hurt. You know, mm -hmm. and they were a constant source of pain. Exactly. And the dog was when he had his eyes because of the pain. But when they took the the eyes out. Uh, somebody, you know, when the dog started to recover, they said they threw a ball and the dog could hear the ball and it jumped up and it grabbed the ball. This is just days after the surgery. Mm -hmm. The dog wasn't and I, and sitting around. I bet around. that dog was wagging its tail. Yeah, it was happy. It didn't hurt <laughs> anymore. It wasn't sitting around thinking, God, I wish I had my eyes back. Mm -hmm. You know, even though it loved its eyes, undoubtedly it liked to see it was able to move on innately and and human beings lose this ability we, we totally lose right. it and we'll go into it in the noble truths here but yeah that's the difference so, of mm -hmm. experience and that's what not carrying your suffering can mean just as a teaser i guess uh the third mark of existence is known as i believe it's anatta so that is the doctrine of no self now this is pretty complex and makes almost no sense in a Western term because we, we really don't have a lot. Now, quickly, on one hand, we can say that there is this idea of, I mean, we're talking about Brahman and, and duality of, of the soul and stuff. But in a nutshell, let's say that this means that there is no immortal self. There is no part of yourself that lives on forever and mm -hmm. that's confusing it's, at first reincarnation like, is not your soul going in out of your body and into another one. exactly like and, and and it's confusing because we just said samsara was exactly that thing and mm -hmm. buddhists were fully aware of this but the buddhists did not believe that like in your next life you're like playing the guitar necessarily because you loved it in your last one Right. Buddhists believe that there is a spark that moves on, that there and is this maybe a billion sparks. Absolutely, and and this has also been ex extended to mean, you know, uh, selflessness that you should act 
not of the self, that you should act in ways not to just bring pleasure or gain to yourself. And I think that's mm-hmm. a legitimate way to look at it, as far as I know, which is coming from nowhere, right? But I, I think both of those things should be kind of kept in mind as we move forward, because they they really uh, tie into that doctrine of, of the no-self. Mm-hmm. So I've been and thinking I... about this a lot, and I'm just going to throw my thoughts out there. Let me know if this is way off topic or if this like seems to hit home with you guys. But my interpretation of no self from the studying I've done is in much the way that we think of the concept of I and me as like my leg, my arm, my chest, my feelings. Within the scope of my context, I am me. The concept of no self would be more like Michael and Michael and, you know, viewers, we're all one experience. We are all one existence. If I do something kind for Michael, I'm not doing something kind for Michael the person. I'm doing something kind to another part of existence, which is me, which is all of us. Mm-hmm. Um and I think, to my understanding, that's kind of what no self is. We are all in existence, an experience together, interlinked with all that is and all that is everything. Um, Absolutely. And I don't know yeah. if I'm on the right track there. You're not wrong. But, no. but that's what I'm I, thinking. I think that this, I, I would love to explore it more um, in, in how Buddhists interpret it, but also, yeah. as you said, in, in, in how I interpret I'll it. I'll be back. You know, the no self could also be could also be interpreted as oneness, as the belief that we are all one. You know, which I, I sort of carry as part of my core philosophy, that in addition to being the three individuals that we are talking to each other, we are also the billions of individual cells and the bacteria and the electrons and the energy moving through our bodies. And, and people will say, you know, our bodies are vessels. Mm-hmm. But no self can be the, the, the one self, that we're all, we are all one. And, and in my personal philosophy, I believe that when, when I pass on from, from this life, well, hopefully, you know, many hundreds or thousands of years from now, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, will, it'll be more of a, of a merging and a return, you know, whatever that, that like spark of consciousness that I held onto for so long, however long that is, will, will dissipate out into the greater universe, just as my body physically decays and dissipates back into the earth and the other life forms that I am host to either die or, or find new life forms and other life feeds on me and the the energy that I have built and I have collected over my lifetime spreads out into the world. And like some people find that really gross and icky. I think it's beautiful (laughs) and it's, it's literally true that that's what your body does unless you entomb it and mummify it and try to preserve it forever, which is really just denying the inevitable. And in that sense, (laughs) like it, you in a very literal sense are one with everything because that disbursement goes out everywhere 
Yes. And if we were to even mm-hmm. pull that out, or pull that back into like a smaller scope, like you can very directly affect the way you feel and the kind of thoughts you have by the other thoughts that you generate, right? Like if I actively make the decision to think just really mean, nasty thoughts, like I'm going to feel that in my body, right? Mm -hmm. But if I think really happy, really grateful, really generous, positive thoughts, I'm going to have a physical change in the way I feel. Now, Mm -hmm. if I project that out to somebody else and I like say really positive, really kind, really generous, grateful things to another person, it affects the way that person feels. So from that perspective, like how could you argue that we're not one experience, right? Like there Mm -hmm. has to be that interconnection. And then moving further out to what you said, like life and death and, you know, you become the grass and the things that eat the grass and then those become other things. Like we are connected with everything. But I know Michael's gearing up for something here. I see some shenanigans going on. So I have a quick demo, uh, because this is how it was explained to me once upon a time. But if you... So if you look at the candle, for those listening, I have a candle. Um, (laughs) We have a flame burning. And this, we call it a flame. And it has the idea that it is one flame. You know, inherent in what a flame is. But if we're being honest with ourselves, if this flame burns for five minutes, was it the exact same thing all five minutes? Or Mm -hmm. is it just the gases from the wax as it heats up burning and creating and feeding a thing? Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's... Let's get this camera to focus again. So this is like consciousness. This is a thing that is convinced it is a continuous, non-interrupted existence that all happened and belonged to the exact same thing, even though... Because it's the same candlelight. Yeah, but we... We we can witness it. We know that, like, none of the cells and probably even the, the microscopic molecules in our body are the same that we had when we were babies like our bodies have taken on whole new things but we have this illusion of self that exists and you know we're talking about no self as far as like reincarnation so i have another candle and i'm going to light this candle and extinguish this one now is this flame identical to this flame is it the same flame did you just pass it from one candle to the other yeah well the existence or, of the previous candle before you blew it out would say no yeah it can't be and so the idea that even if you did reincarnate to another candle is that the same you no mm-hmm. i mean it's not like it came from a source it came from the last you there is continuity in a way but not in the way that we wish it was. Not in the mm-hmm. way that promises any kind of salvation well, of that, existence. That's the thing is that the flame, the energy, the movement, and, and flame, fire is really a movement. Like, it is, as you said, the, the flame itself changes every instant. Mm-hmm. It is burning gas, which is come 
comes off of the wax as it melts, which is held by the string. Mm-hmm. And eventually the string degrades as the wax melts yep, it's more and more down. the wax and more the gas is burned. But on a molecular level, it's refreshing at a constant rate. Yes. It's, it's not the fed. same. It's not even the same fire one second to the next. No. On a molecular level. The fire might think it is. And it's, well, it, 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 has the it illusion. is one fire. That's the thing. The, the, it is still one fire. The, you know, but you have that's, to start it and stop it. It but burns from still, one end to the other. It's because we called it a fire and we defined it as one thing. But the nature of a thing well, and the, and the movement is, is continuing. The yes. movement of the fire, and that's that's what it is. That's what that yeah. it's that. And there's utility and in, in feeling that way about it. I mean, it's useful, like it's practical, but it's not true, mm-hmm. right? I mean, th- that's just and and then, and we're observers. All right, let's we're go. The fire. I mean, stay on that for a second. I've been thinking about that currently with, like, tying that back to people. You know, you'll have these uh, people that history is kind of exalted. Like, you got your Albert Einstein, your, uh, uh, who's another good example, like, oh, there was smart a people. I had the other day. Yeah, smart people. Uh, you know, Newton. people who, oh, like, uh, Gandhi, Gandhi, right, people who've done these really great things with their lives. Yeah. And then you'll have these, like, sophisticated internet people, they're like, well, actually, he pushed his family down the stairs this one time, so he was a POS. And I'm like, <laughs> well, I mean, we're different people in different stages of our life like i yeah. treat people really well but like i went through a divorce some people would say i'm a pos yeah. just for that like well, well imagine we went to middle school together and i hated you for something you did when you were like 10 yeah exactly and i held it against you and you were like yeah. i was 10 dog <laughs> i can't fix that that person is gone mm-hmm. that person has been mm-hmm. gone for for decades yeah and hopefully i learned something from it sure and you know, no one should ever push their family down the stairs. No, yeah. There, there are certain crimes that haunt you for a good reason. <laughs> but does it make you evil forever? Or like... But I think I think it also doesn't negate what the other things that you did. You sure. know, I think, you know, if we learn that that Gandhi was a, a abusive, then we may have less respect for him as a person. But it doesn't make the truths that he spoke and the things that he fought for any less valuable. It doesn't change what his movement, which was not just him led to in Indian and British history. Those things are still true. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think as it colors people, you, you, you there's a lot of this, uh, in discussions about the founding fathers of the United States, many of whom were slaveholders. Uh-huh. We denied that for a long time. And we, should not ever deny it again we need to acknowledge that but it is it's also like thomas jefferson's a great example because like the declaration of independence is a brilliant document yeah. and he wanted to abolish slavery even though he enslaved his own sons what a weird yeah. person <laughs> yeah that's some real mental gymnastics <laughs> yeah we would say he's writing um, down a paper this is going to come back to haunt us and 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 like the, this. this the shadow of his personal sort of monstrosity to be honest you know he owned other people and he owned other people at a time where slavery was an economic system it wasn't slavery when tribes would fight other tribes and enslave you know the people that they defeated in combat it's it was a complicated system where human beings were extracted and shipped 
somewhere else for a specific person. Person, he he was able to just go to the store and buy people. Yeah, and or that's, make them. Yeah, way off <laughs> topic, but like I hope that one day, people with their amazing you know public transit systems look back and be like, how could these people who drove cars rail against the driving of cars like they were so backwards mm-hmm. and wild like i hope we get there i hope mm-hmm. yeah there, there's hypocrites in all of us but it i mean there's we're trying to do good and i think mm-hmm. we're gonna go into the four noble truths now i think uh it's about time <laughs> we've digressed enough <laughs> exactly but we're gonna i mean these are these are again very useful so we're on the first noble truth, um, and this is c- commonly referred to in translation as the truth of suffering, uh, and it, it can really be summed or up. It, it is. It is dukkha. It is also mm-hmm. suffering is true. Is another way. Yeah. Like the the universal truth was sort of that that there is suffering, and this is that suffering exists. They sort of mirror each other a little bit. Absolutely. Well, they're two different. They're two different sets, you know, and they're not based on each other. Uh, the way we're presenting it makes it seem that way, but you know, they're taught separately. Um, yeah, but this they're, is important. They're interrelated, but they're not like yeah. The three universal truths lead to the four noble truths. There are there in some ways there are seven truths, but they're sort of yeah. I mean, this in is a different its own... there there are different kinds of truths, and that's why they're grouped separately. Absolutely. So, it is. It also also translated as dukkha, which is suffering in a sense of unfulfilledness. One of the translations I saw was stressfulness, which I thought mm-hmm. made sense. We stress out about things. We worry about things in the future. We regret things in the past. We carry yep. these attachments. And what's important to know about this is that, you know, as far as the four noble truths, like that, this first truth of, of dukkha, like. It's, again, something that you cannot escape. If you were a a billionaire and you had all your needs met and you lived the best life possible, you had the best medical care, you would have pain, you would grow old, you would die eventually. Um, There is never a point where we will be able to escape suffering uh, as mortal beings this is is a truth of existence itself and Mm -hmm. it's it's that simple like suffering exists um many kinds of suffering but specifically in an intellectual being the suffering that comes from being alive in the first place which is a little complex i mean we're gonna get we're gonna get to the cause of suffering in the next noble truth but this one is fundamentally that suffering is inescapable as far as yeah if you're listening to that and you're like oh that doesn't track i don't know what he's talking about wait till you're 30 and you wake up in the morning i don't care who you are those first couple steps in the day you're gonna be like okay yeah life is suffering it's not as easy and it gets harder i mean wait till you're 80 if you make it there i can't even imagine it i literally cannot i can't conceptualize it Uh, can we should we go to the second noble truth Yes, please. Yes. So um, I thought it was interesting in, in some of my research from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, however his name is pronounced, mm-hmm. sort of laid out the four truths in a, in, a, in a sort of quick way. 
that I think would be helpful, and then we can go more into them individually. I'll go right ahead. Because if we can't summarize it, then, you know, we we do tend to fall into tangents. So what he said is that the first truth is that suffering exists, you know. The second truth is that it's suffering, the cause of suffering. Um, So the first one, suffering is there. Suffering is there. We all suffer. There is a cause to suffering. Um, the third truth is you, there is an escape to suffering. You know, you don't have to suffer. Mm -hmm. And the fourth truth is the cause of the escape of suffering or the path to the escape of suffering. So the second truth leads to the first truth. The fourth truth leads to the third truth. The third truth is a reaction to the, to the first and second truths. Yeah. And I think that was really helpful for me to wrap my head around it. Yeah, that that they can be derived from the first truth. Right. They're all really closely interrelated. So we, and and, and in summary, we suffer the first truth because we have these attachments. Um, We have these, these cravings that we can't let go of. We know that we can escape suffering. We know it's possible because of the third truth. Um, and in the escape of that is sort of the opposite of the second. It's not truly the, like the polar opposite, but it is the, it it is the eightfold path, but really it is that there is a path out of suffering, that there is a way to not have those attachments and to not become greedy and not be driven by, by these obsessions with, uh, the impermanence of, of, of our, the inability to accept reality. And I think that that really helps. And then we really need to break break them in. But that's sort of a, a nice sort of f- flow chart, if you can imagine that. Yeah. And I think this surprises people that Buddhism and having I, I say this having studied like philosophy of religion in college, where we broke down, you know, the logical arguments that are the cornerstone of the Western tradition. I think Buddhism is far more analytical Mm-hmm. Than, than Christianity really is uh, to mm-hmm. to an amazing degree. It's it's amazingly right. thoughtful. It's it's very well perceived. It's it's very well thought out in a way that should will probably astound a lot of people that take the time to study it because you would think that it's just beautiful abstract concepts that fit together well and make a pretty picture. It's actually not that at all. Uh, you know, in the West here, we have some pretty funny ideas of what Buddhism is. When it comes down to it, it's like real thinking about real things that that lead to these four noble truths that really encapsulate it really well. Right. And and the second truth is that the cause of suffering is basically through ignorance and a misunderstanding of how the universe itself works. And and it fundamentally it's in our own hands and at first that might sound a little funny like that suffering's caused by these things you're like well you know like if you get in a car accident and you're crippled as they say you know like that's that's isn't that somebody else's fault you know what am i going to do about that like that just sucks that's bad luck and a buddhist might tell you that first of all the, the idea that you're going to live your life without ever being in an accident 
is not realistic. Mm-hmm. And you should have never believed that in the first place. The The belief that you could do that is not in line with the nature of being alive. It's you wishing for a reality that is not true and would never be true. Mm-hmm. And second of all, you know, the, the car accident caused you pain. But your suffering was caused by the belief that you shouldn't experience the pain. Right? Like, it's caused by your desire to never experience pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and... One of the ways I saw the second truth translated was Tana, which sort of meant thirst or craving mm-hmm. or greed. It, it, and it's, it's the desire that sort of, you know, uh, takes hold. It does a really good job of explaining... Because you're saying, like, lots of good things happened in my life, right? Like, yeah. I, uh, I won a marathon, and I felt great. And you're like, I want to do that again. And I had this great high feeling from, from accomplishing this beautiful task. And, and mm-hmm. so you're, you're like, that's not suffering. Tana really does a good job of, of showing you that stuff. Again, remember the impermanence. That is not going to last. It's going to lead you. And one day you'll be so old, you'll never run another marathon. You mm-hmm. know, like... That, that, and, that, there will, and there will be a best marathon, and then yeah. there will be marathons after that that, mm-hmm. are, that you never reclaim. And, and, and that Even feeling you might never come back the same way. It's gone. And so even the joy that we get, even, the, even that pleasure we get out of things that we earned, as you might think, is, is not lasting. And it creates a yearning for more that can never fully be met by natural reality. And that's, that's dark, right? I mean, it's, it's, it kind of sucks. And, and it seems like the most negative thing you could believe. But the truth is that in really understanding that on a deep level, there is a joy and a freedom that comes from it. And I mean, that's going to lead into the next truth, sure. But it's it's important to understand that, yeah, like this is a hard thing to accept. It's mm-hmm. hard to know that you're going to die. It's hard to know that the best thing you do in your life, you're going to get old and it's going to go past and, and you're going to live. You're going to outlive your usefulness. You're going to yeah. outlive your health. Yeah, we already know we're never going to be 19 again. Yeah. You know, um, we're still sort of we're still in many ways in our prime. Yeah, but and there's as, more choice to said, come. As you said, Michael, like, you know, sometime in your thirties you don't jump out of bed as fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Never. I never have that day. Yeah. And it feels uh, unfair. So Right. Well So Um, I think Um, it's time I'm gonna talk a little bit about what's going on in my life right now. Because it's really feeding into my studies of this mm-hmm. um, especially the first two and I think it'll help color my contribution and our conversation for the second two yeah so um, this morning I found out that my partner has breast cancer and it's uh, today is is very weird because I'm, I'm in shock and all I want to do is, is completely normal things. 
I, I really, really wanted to make sure we still did this podcast. You know, I considered maybe not, but then I was like, no, I want to, I want to talk about this. And, and this topic is so, so related Yeah. that, um, you know, I was on, on Monday, I was studying for, for today, uh, reading up a little bit, watching some videos, reading some articles. Um, when she called me and told me, you know, she had an exam and they, and they said it was, it was likely that, that she had this and it just, you know, just, it's knocked me over. It's completely bowled me over. And, you know, we've, the, the two of us and, and our friends have been, you know, making some really great jokes the last couple of days. We, we joke to cope, as I say. And, you know, I was there going over the, the four truths and, you know, I'm, I'm very upset right now. And, yeah. and, and, and some of, and part of me is mad because she's, she's 30. Like she's, she's a little younger than me uh, and very healthy, active, eats well. Um, her family doesn't have a history of this. Like, there, it wasn't even on our radar until Monday. And and now, like, I feel like everything in my life is changing. And and I really would love to go back to three days ago. Yeah. And so I'm in a place where I'm I'm reading and I'm studying these these four truths and and suffering. And I'm also scared and I'm angry and I really wish that this just wasn't happening. You know, I, things have been going and going well for us and in our lives together. And, you know, we have a lot to be excited about and we've been even talking about that. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, the wind, like literally taken out, you know, I was, I was writing earlier and writing some of these down I've never experienced like the really truly something that was hard to write, like hard to make my pen write certain words on the paper. And, you know, and I, my approach is generally pretty close to the, the Buddhist one in a lot of ways. I, I, I feel like I'm pretty good at accepting the realities in my life. Generally, you know, when that's, this and that happening here and there. Sure. You know, maybe I didn't get a job. Maybe I got dumped. Maybe something good happened. Maybe something bad happened. I'm just like, life is really interesting and, and I'd like to take from it. But this is, this is really hard. This and, is a lot. And I don't, and I don't know where it's leading, but right now we're both scared. You know, the, what we found out today, uh, talking to the doctor is that it's, it's a very operable form of cancer it's it's much more common in, in older women where breast cancer becomes more common as you age uh it's not aggressive uh it's not coming from a genetic source you know it was he made us feel pretty good in the call and you know we've got appointments lined up and you know i'm there with her her friends and her family and, and our mutual friends and, and my friends are all generally most of us are aware by now and we're, we're people i'm getting a lot of support um and it's like, great, it seems like this is something that's going to be taken care of rather quickly. And, and hopefully we'll be back in our lives in a few months moving on. But we don't know that right now. You know, things are uncertain. Yeah. You know, I've, I've just heard, I've heard horror stories, you know, and I can't help but be aware of, of those. 
and and honestly even even if things go fine and I, yeah. and I I feel deep down that this is we're gonna get right we're gonna get through this quickly but it, it's it won't you know, be you like it never happened no it, and it, it this, changes this things. changes our lives and yeah. you're deep in the dukkha and, and and I feel that pain right yes. now and I'm really trying not to be embittered by it and yeah. to to find my own lesson for it and 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 get through it but i mean i also am understanding these truths a lot better than i would have just reading them of course <laughs> yeah they're hitting home and and i mean that's the difference of all of us live a phone call away from bad news that could change everything mhm but we don't live that way. That's why I never pick up the phone. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, impermanence <laughs> smart. is... It sounds so innocent, right? Like, impermanence. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know things are impermanent. I know Sarah and I aren't going to live forever. I, you know, we're hopefully going to... You know, I, I would really love to stay with her throughout my life, but that's even that's not forever. Even yeah, relationships, but, even but, relationships that last the rest of your life don't last forever. Well, the hope <laughs> is that they'll be forever and they'll be good right. forever, right? And those two go hand in hand. That's what you want. Mm -hmm. And you're being faced with the reality of that might not be possible. And that's scary and that hurts. It's, it's terrifying. And, and we're still, we've been together about eight months. We're still, we've known each other a few years, almost, almost two years now. And... Yeah. Uh, been dating about eight months and we're getting along great and we're but we're still in a in a very young phase in our relationship mm -hmm. like when you think about the cycle we're we're the adolescent you know like we're still i just still have that new some way still discovering things we're still it. like yeah. teenagers and it's you know and i think we're building a great relationship i mean i really love this girl and I'm, I'm happy with, you know, we get along really well, you know, she's met both of you and most of my friends and family, and I'll be going back with her to North Carolina to meet her family, and it's been really wonderful, and we have a lot of the same values, a lot of the same interests, and just, like, we just go into things together, and it's a really beautiful relationship that's still young and still is mostly... <laughs> It mostly feels like potential still and like we have a lot of plans and we've only done a few things and it's it, it really makes that fear so acute because yeah, now all those things i want to do i i want to do them faster i want to do that you know there's 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 a sense of <laughs> now urgency. there's a time limit yeah and and i hope there's not a time limit and i and there but ultimately we know that there is you don't you know yeah but when that time limit is like between now and when you're 90 years old, you know, if you really, especially in a relationship, your partners, maybe you're looking for a long marriage. Yeah, you're, and, you're and, thinking and about building kids. a family. You're thinking and, about and, a house. And traveling and, you know, all of this. And now it's like, we just started talking about moving in together later this year. And that's still where we're headed. But all of a sudden I'm like, oh, God, like yeah. nothing is set. Like, and, 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 it, and it, you know, the, that yeah. impermanence is really just slapping me in the face right now. And 
so one thing I want to say uh, to people listening is that the idea that all these beautiful dreams, you know, can become a source of pain and suffering mm-hmm. because you're now afraid that they're not going to be what you wanted. You know, they're not like the Buddha had a son and he named him the shackle and it sounds so terrible you're like but i have to say like for those of for for people that really understand how fleeting life and health are like you once you, when you find out you're dying of cancer or something like or that you even have it in the first place maybe you're not dying even yet but you think about your relationship, you're in love. You want to spend the rest mm-hmm. of your life with this person. Well, that person will probably be with somebody else if you die. You know, you have a child. Well, they're never going to know who you are. And it hurts like hell. Mm-hmm. And, and so... And, and, and we're both facing our mortality. Like... Yeah. She's... Course. She's the one that's... Sick. But... We're, we're both facing it and i, I know, know when you. you when you were 30 you had a similar experience yeah and I, I, and yeah. and your view of yourself and of the world was altered you know you faced yeah. your mortality in a way that you'd never considered it it became very real very fast and when you're sitting down with the doctor and they're telling you not good news it's the most real experience of your life and the things that brought you joy immediately can bring you pain mm-hmm. and fear and it's resentment but the other side of that is finding that acceptance and understanding how valuable your life is in every moment of your life even if you have two days left you know mm-hmm. You got to make those two amazing days because they are. I you mean, live your life to the fullest. And sometimes you get shocks that make you not take it for granted. And yeah. I'm really hoping that's what I'm getting right now. Just a sh- It's a shock, a kick yeah. in the pants to be like, you know what? Let's fucking figure this shit out. We'll get through this. And we're not taking our, our relationship and our health and our plans for granted. You no. know, there's and 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 I think that and it, that leads us to the third truth. It really does, <laughs> it, and that's. I gotta say, it does. It really does because you do not have to suffer, mm-hmm. and that's the that's what the third truth is telling you. Yeah, that there is freedom from suffering. Neuroda was the word I I heard, which means like cessation or a stopping, and and it's just that the truth of it is that you you don't have to suffer. That suffering is. A human-caused pain, and this is dukkha suffering. Yes, and that's where I'm really trying to stay right now, because I've gone through painful times in my life. I've lost people. I've almost lost people. I've been hurt. You know, I've seen my family fall apart, and I've seen other people become embittered. You know, people in my life that were dear friends, and that 
faced a traumatic experience or, or even just as they aged yeah. became bitter about it and that's a really sort of uh <laughs> a really malignant version of suffering is is becoming embittered by it you know we might have our attachments anyone who is who's had a child and, and really most people who've had pets understand attachment um you know you can't imagine anything happened to your child yeah and and you know that that any, anything that would happen would never leave you yeah but you and and i and i hope you know this is something you can take from this you do not have to become a bitter angry mean person because of it you don't have to carry that pain and wrap yourself up in it because that's what that's what dukkha is it's like the pain is real you need to acknowledge it you need to move through it it is emotion you know yeah emotion is a movement and another problem that i have with uh western american culture is that we really have this uh, toxic positivity yeah and yeah. and we think you know no bad days you know life is good everything go to the beach you look at people's instagrams it's always pictures of them on trips looking at beautiful things looking at art and just as we deny old age and death we just deny sadness and yeah. and downturns it, i mean and it, it's totally denial and that's yes. the problem is, is like so uh, when my father died, my mother worked uh, with the public. She was in, in customer service. And people came to her. And this is the problem with, with other religions and, and a very big difference between that and Buddhism. Is that they, they told her, well, you know, I'm sorry your husband died. Uh, God must have had a plan for him. And, oh, yeah, that'll make you mad. And it was like, right? would that even comfort you if your dog got hit by a car? You know, <laughs> like... You're like, well, God had a plan for your dog, and it was like to die it was by to a car die in front of you. You know, like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> so well, let me tell you what I think about your God and His plan. Yeah, and that's that's where Buddhism sets itself apart by a by saying, look, suffering is something that you have control over. Not it's not God doing things you don't understand. You're not too stupid to get this. Actually, there's a way out, and yes. that way out is in your hands. And, and because, and, and some of the logic in the third truth is that because it is possible to escape from suffering and escape from suffering is escape from samsara and escape from samsara is nirvana, the third truth potentially tells you that nirvana is possible. Yes. It doesn't yeah. tell you anything about how to get there, but it is... Just as suffering, and that's the Thich Nhat Hanh video was so good at, at describing this, and I would suggest yeah. anyone who sees this on YouTube, watch his video. Maybe we'll link yeah. it. Just type um, in the Four Noble Truths. I'll get it up there in the let's, description. Let's link it. We, we, yeah. we should really start linking videos anyway. It's great. He is a Buddhist monk who died only in the last six months. Um, yeah. I, maybe the last year. But the Very influential. better for him. And, mm -hmm. and he points out, and, and I could be getting this wrong, but there's an idea that I've heard often in Eastern religion about opposites. And so for one thing to exist in a way, it, it, it talks about how the the opposite of that thing exists. Like, right. You know, this is the yin and yang. Exactly. You know, Matter and antimatter and, 
you know, equations balancing themselves out in physics. There, and there is polarity spirituality. in the universe, and it's a core part. It's a core tenet of, of Hinduism and Buddhism. And um, so, while there should be suffering, and we know suffering exists, there is an absence of suffering. It must yes. exist. And that's what he said. If there is light, there is mm. dark. You cannot have light without darkness, because the the light casts away the darkness, just as the darkness obliterates the light. They can't yeah. exist without each other. So if suffering exists, then non-suffering must exist. Yes. And I love this idea. I'm on it right now of there is polarity and non-polarity. So there is light. If there's light, there must be dark, like you said, right? That's mm-hmm. polarity. They are two different things. But actually, they're the same thing. It's just like a slider, right? Between light and dark, they're the same. Right. Light and I don't dark. Know, wave energy. Light and dark are spectrums of the same thing. Yes. So in that sense, and they are it's perceived spectrums. Yes. <laughs> and it's the same, like joy, sadness. It's the same thing, but they're opposite. But it's the same. And I just and that's oof, it I is that it. magnet pulling and 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 I would. And I would posit, and this this is this is again more on my own viewpoints than my Buddhism, is that they sort of circle around back on each other, just like so many other things. Hmm. But exactly, like suffering, and it's hard to even because this is a personal held suffering that you carry with you. It's different than the opposite of pain is pleasure, which is a different way of looking. The opposite of suffering is sure. another sure. form yeah. of joy. But it's the same. It's but this taken. is. But this is the suffering that comes from this thirst and this desire that comes from within. Mm-hmm. So the opposite of that is fulfillment, I guess. You know, that if there is desire, there is fulfillment. Yeah, um, or sa- but it's, deep satisfaction. Yeah, and it's right? it's difficult. It's, it's almost problematic to define as, as fulfillment because that's when you desire food and you eat it and you're full. Sure. It's it's sure. different than, than not needing food anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> or not desiring food anymore. It's nirvana. And it comes right? back. It, it's the the nirvana, like the. It's a state of no longer craving and and not having the hunger and the the, and dispelling the ignorance, and the misunderstanding, mm-hmm. and that's what. The escape is. Although, understanding what it is, and putting a name on it even, is not useful in and of itself. You need no. to have And that's path. why the second and fourth truths are so important. Mm-hmm. If there is suffering, there's a way to suffering. Mm-hmm. If there is liberation from suffering, there is a way to liberation. And that's a way why... to liberate yourself from suffering. And that's why I love the Four Noble Truths. If you summarize it all together, it's just cause and effect it really is if you really boil it down you're like all right all right you're having relationship troubles right like your significant other is like angry at you well why are they angry at you well you know they were having feelings and i was like well why why do you feel that way and you're getting all up in their face and it's like okay and that's causing suffering right okay well Mm -hmm. what if you didn't do that Oh, well, maybe the stress wouldn't be here. Okay, well, what if you want to step further? What mm-hmm. if you're like, 
hey, thank you for sharing those feelings with me. Like, tell me more about that. How's that make you feel? Okay, how can I help with that? Well, now you're not in suffering, right? Now you're in a really great place, and that's all just cause and effect. Like, if it can be negative, it's negative for a reason. And you can make it positive by doing the opposite things. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's this very tangible concept that you don't get in other religions where they're like, well, it's kind of up to God, so... Yeah, it's, it's like maybe even predestined, yeah. predetermined. Mm -hmm. This is this is very empowering, and, and yes. it circles back to what we were saying before. This is not just depression and darkness. This is like an actual, you know, way to take things into your own hands and empower yourself to have control over your pain and not mm -hmm. all your pain you can't stop life from sucking once in a while that's that's not possible it shouldn't even be desired like mm -hmm. you you should not desire a life without pain or discomfort oh it's not a life but what you and, uh, and it's a it's a really core part of the disease in in our society it really is is that is that we can't we just don't eat, we just deny its existence like yeah um, and so um i i want to wrap this up soon because i want to go uh be with my partner absolutely but mm -hmm. we and we don't have time to get into the fourth truth because the fourth truth uh also translated as maga is the path out of suffering it is that path and in buddhism that path is the the uh eightfold, eightfold path. path absolutely and that's an entire episode yeah and i absolutely. think and and one doesn't necessarily need to prescribe to the Buddhist solution. And I think that's what I do want to talk about tonight before we wrap okay. up. There is a path. The, the fourth truth is the path. In Buddhism, that's the eightfold path. And I think when we look at it, it really holds up to scrutiny because it doesn't. And, and, and really the Buddhist religion is how those eight steps are interpreted in various ways and how the cosmology is built out of that. But I think the eightfold path is is just about as strong as the four noble truths and i look forward yeah. to talking about that um but i would say there might be other paths there might be other ways out of suffering another way regardless yeah regardless of what that is it requires the cessation of that desire and that attachment and so the buddhist philosophy and the religion and religions that have come out of buddhism or how to get to how to get out of suffering, how to yeah. how to liberate yourself, how to understand um, it, how to how to come closer to nirvana, escape the wheel, so to speak, is how it's often said in English. Um, and the last the last thing I wanted to talk about myself um, before we we begin planning for this and before I go have another few cries is as I was studying this since I haven't read a lot into Buddhism except sort of in the abstract and through new age lens, I was really surprised by how similar it is to the, to the stoic philosophies of, of Greek and Roman yes. history. And I, I was, a, I read Marcus Aurelius. I've read a little bit of other, other stoics, stoic writers, and it's always been really valuable to me. Um, stoicism being stoic in English is often sort of misinterpreted as just being like quiet and somber and mm -hmm. that's that's really not true. Stoicism is is radical acceptance. To be yes, honest, it absolutely. is. You know, Marcus Aurelius is like you only can control yourself. 
you know you're going to grow old. You know you're going to be strong at one point. You know you're going to be at your peak at one point. All you can do is decide what you do when you get up in the morning, how you spend your day, what you eat, who you who you interact with, you know, and and so stoicism, I think I would like to talk about as an alternative eightfold path because it's it's sort of recognizing the same fundamental tenets through a Greek tradition. So mm-hmm. uh, there's the underlying arguments are more related to other like Socratic ideas and other Greek philosophies, but it's still like a recognition that like you can't control the universe and wasting your time trying is only going to make you miserable. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of how Marcus Aurelius and the stoic philosophers, others uh, summed it up is it's like you can control yourself. And so their, their path is, is discipline and is, you know, but it's, it, it could, I think, it, I we might be able to even find an article where somebody has done this, and I'll I'll look for that before the next episode. But like right, you know, right thought, right action, all of this could be stoic. You know, most yeah. of the steps, and and Marcus Aurelius's famous book is called Meditations. One of the eight one of the eight steps is basically meditation, um, and I think that's really interesting because uh, they're almost contemporaneous. Like I mean, Marcus Aurelius was Roman emperor, but. Yeah, yeah. You know, and Stoicism is about two thousand years old, and yeah. and maybe they were influenced by Buddhists. Who who knows? You know, the the ancient there was far it, more East, like was yeah. a lot. Yeah, there's a lot more movement of ideas and and cultures than people give credit to. Yeah, and it, it is interesting. I mean, I think a lot of people thinking about suffering will come to these conclusions. I I yes. don't. And and I would even take it further to say, I don't think there's many more conclusions to come to. Except, an understanding that you need to accept that things will happen that are bad, mm-hmm. and that and, and the best you can do is, is your own yeah term. yeah, and like the best <laughs> you can do is not dwell on it and let it ruin your life. Uh, yeah, in, in a life has sense. it up, its ups and downs, and you need to be able to be satisfied when you're sad mm-hmm. and, and recognize that that your anger has some sort of purpose but not let your anger take hold of you and not let not let it dominate you and, and embitter you and and recognize that you know every the, the the polarity of it and that they are the same and that you you can't enjoy the joys if you don't experience the the pain yeah and, I, and that's, cost. that's really keeping me going yeah. right now. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, I, I think the idea of escaping that wheel is that, you know, there's there's only so much you can bear of that pain, even with the joy. And mm-hmm. that's why this goal of, of making it out exists. And, and let's put that on a, a macroscopic level, right, where, where you're zooming out and that's the big picture. But on the, the small microscopic level, on that zoom in, uh, you know, this is very, even thinking about one lifetime and one, you know, life to live, it's still incredibly useful to understand. You don't need samsara and you don't need this, you know, these, these other philosophies of death and life and what it all means to, to give this meaning. Uh, you don't need mm-hmm. gods. You don't need... You don't, you don't need much. and No, and you can be, I believe, with the core, 
parts of this, you can kind of be a Christian Buddhist, and I've met many. Yeah, they exist. Sort of New Agers. Absolutely. And and you can bring your own beliefs about the fundamentals of the universe and still take these four truths into your heart, and it will make your life better. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Or, you know, if you arrive at it through a different avenue, you know, maybe it's through reading the Stoic philosophers. It's Buddhism can help you understand Stoicism. Yeah. Uh, just as I hope Stoicism can help me understand Buddhism. <laughs> I feel will... like they're very synergistic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we will do a full episode on Stoicism. I mean... Oh, it's... it's, I like And I really that. look forward to studying it again and rereading that book and reading yeah. some of the others. I can't remember the names right I, now. I say studying it, but really I listened to like a Stuff You Should Know episode podcast on Stoicism. <laughs> it was like some one hour long. But yeah, no, absolutely. And... and, and I'd like to go into the whole, you know, atmosphere that it developed uh, in the future. But for now, uh, on Buddhism, we've got another episode coming up in just a week. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully that's the plan. We'll we'll see that it hits, uh, depending on what's going on, where we're going to get into the Eightfold Path. We're going to talk about how Buddhists approach this idea of escaping the the wheel, uh, escaping suffering, uh, not accumulating more karma. Um, all these things are, are very important. And even in them, if you don't believe in samsara, I think there's a lot of useful information. And mm-hmm. we'll yeah. bring that to you soon. I think that's a good point. Yeah, you, you might not be looking for nirvana, but you can yeah. still be looking to just be more accepting. For a philosophy that lets you live your life without i mean karma in a way you really can think of as like emotional baggage that weighs you down that makes Mm -hmm. every step you take a little bit heavier and i i think that has a lot to do with your next life if you believe in that but i think it has equally a lot to do with this life that people accumulate so much stuff that when you see that like 80 year old man that doesn't want to get out of bed it's not just because of how shitty he feels it's because of all the things that happened to him the things that he did the things that he regrets the things that he wishes he did better things that he loved and were taken from him that he couldn't deal with mm-hmm. and i think the eightfold path is a way to minimize some of that impact and and to live your life a little more free a little more light and I mean, I'll let everybody decide when they hear it, but I, I think that there's an immense amount of wisdom there. That's why it's been around this long without promising people heaven or life ever lasting, <laughs> laughing, ever lasting in this perfect I like life utopia. Ever yeah, yeah, hopefully it's ever Well, because it's right? supposed to be yeah. joyous, right? But you're like, what would it be like to live forever? Like, I don't know that I could cope mentally with even the concept of such a thing. No. But this I understand. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this I get. And I get Mm -hmm. that life is suffering and that it could someday be too much. Um, We should probably wrap it up. I think we're an hour and 45 minutes in. I think that's really all we need to cover for today. You know, this is the beginning of a series. As usual, we we, uh, found a few tangents, some. Yeah more important than others well, we're humans but we're, we're we will people. return to this and i think we, we will also do shorter videos 
on each topic. We don't need a two-hour video. We can do a shorter video on the but same But this is topic. a deep dive, deeper dive, mm-hmm. obviously. We, we, could... we talked through it a lot. And that's the thing, as we said, you know, thank, thank you for listening today. We're always seeking. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the point of this, of this project, this podcast, is we think Buddhism is interesting. We want to explore it together. We want to share that. Um, if you know more about Buddhism than we do, which many many people you will. will if you're a buddhist or you study buddhism you'll know more than we do yeah. right. let us know leave Share a comment yeah mm-hmm. we're we're uh, we're trying to build a community here uh where people are free to seek what interests them and what they find useful and share that with other people and move forward so leave a comment wherever you found us uh youtube on google Podcasts. i know we're there um mm-hmm. and this episode will be up soon Thank you very much, everybody, and well, yeah. we should see you next week. All right, blessed be. Thank you. Blessed, blessed be. be.